We are back, back on the Letterman jacket, back with Todd Lizenby, back after the Sooners bye week, and back for the 15th episode of the Letterman jacket. 15. Todd, that's Kendall Dolby and Brennan Thompson on the current Sooners. 1915 is when the Sooners joined the Southwest Conference, stayed there for four years until 1919 when they joined the Big Eight. In 2015, that was OU's first college football playoff appearance. So it's, a, it's an important number there in, in Oklahoma football history. But we are back on the pod after the bye. How you doing? I'm good. Don't forget about the great Bart Starr, one of the greatest quarterbacks mm. in the NFL history of my Green Bay Packers, who wore number 15 as well. That he did. That's a good number 15. I'm glad you, you mentioned him. You enjoy I – know, I know you didn't have a week off necessarily, but you enjoy uh, not – having the Sooners on and, and on the radar over the weekend? It was a weird weekend, for sure. I, I know we'll get into this, but there's always that talk of the Texas hangover, and it's weird not having a game the week after the Texas game because that's usually when the hangover happens. So uh, I'm intrigued, to say the least, about how the Sooners rebound in the next – not rebound, but how they respond in the next six weeks uh, after the bye week. Well, you know this. I got back home to New York last week, got a bit of a break, and I leave, and the Big 12 just blows up even more than it's already been blown up. We're going to hit on that. We're going to hit on some questions and diving into the back end of the Sooner season uh, as they return now for the final six games this week. But first, before we do that, we got to jump in and, and talk about our sponsors here on the Letterman Jacket. Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and of course, our good friends at Fire Lake Arena and Fire Lake Golf. Todd, you've got quite a beard. Some might even say, like, how, how long do you think you'd have to go? It might be there right now, but to have a ZZ Top worthy beard uh, that, that you've got right there, you're stroking. Yeah. I get mine trimmed about once every three or four weeks. Um, I could probably in about a year maybe get the ZZ Top-ish, maybe. I don't think my girlfriend would approve, though. Well... We'll see. If, if the sponsorship is good enough, we, we, maybe we can convince you to do it. But point is, ZZ Top and the, the raw, Top's uh, Raw Whiskey Tour is coming to Fire Lake Arena October 28th. You can still get tickets, Fire Lake Arena. And it's getting a little chilly, but if you want to still get into that fall golf, as we've discussed each week, Fire Lake Golf, they got special uh, twilight rates, good times, all that, firelakegolf.com. Todd? I missed most of the college football weekend. I was home. I was at a wedding. I then ran into J.J. Reddick on my flight back to Oklahoma City. It was eventful, all very eventful. I've got a question for you on that later, but point is I kind of had to catch up on the college football weekend that was, and we're going to begin. Hey, welcome to my week every weekend, Eli. <laughs> well, that's right. You're <laughs> over with, with UCO every weekend, and you got to get caught up. So I did that, and what I caught up on is the fact that the Big 12, which I think we already felt like was – I wouldn't even, I mean, it's top heavy with, with two teams in Oklahoma and Texas, but it's just all over the place. Teams that we feel might have thought were good or made up that three, four, five, six in the conference. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde deal every week, whether it's Kansas, TCU, BYU. We're all over. And I, I think, you know, there's a conversation then to be had about what that's going to mean for the Sooners up ahead uh, as they go through the back half of the schedule. It's fairly light. Uh, and, and also the fact of, of what that could mean in terms of the college football playoff picture. Well, you, you remember 2009, I think it was, when – I think that was the year where LSU – was it 09 where LSU got in with two losses? 
Um, but that was the year where everybody that was number two for like six or seven weeks in a row lost. South Florida, Rutgers, they all lost. I feel like that's happening this year with whoever we think is third best in the Big 12. Every week they lose, right? And this week it was Kansas. And now, like, I, I mean, I think the fighting Mike Gundys or the fighting Matt Campbells might be the third best team in, in the uh, Big 12 right now. And don't count out the fighting Chris Clymans as well because they looked really good with Avery Johnson at quarterback, not the former San Antonio Spurs point guard, the other Avery Johnson, uh, who has maybe even less of a Southern draw. But, yeah, it, it's been a crazy week in the Big 12. And, by the way, what's TCU doing? They're like the most psycho team in all of football right now. They lose in week one to Colorado. They get embarrassed by Iowa State. And then, you know, they go out and just absolutely throttle Texas Tech with a backup quarterback. Maybe they were playing the wrong quarterback the whole time. So, um, same for Kansas State. And then they play each other this week. So, one of them is going to lose this week. It's It really is crazy from three down in the Big 12. I don't know how much nationally people really care about that, but in this region, it's a lot of fun week in and week out. Well, yeah, I mean, kicking around the, the league, it started with that Thursday night Houston-West Virginia game, 42 <laughs> points in the fourth quarter. Uh, West Virginia scores late. You think they have it. Houston's got the Hail Mary. Big win for Dana Holgerson. Uh, TCU. With Stephon Johnson, too, the OSU right? transfer. Who yep, makes the that was the first thought I had, man. Unbelievable. TCU beats the bricks off BYU. You mentioned the Kansas State win. To me, the, the biggest win of the weekend, I guess Houston really did need that one, but is that Oklahoma State win? Because they've gone from a team we were writing off and we were maybe even laughing at Mike Gundy saying we have no majors, no major issues. Once again, Mike Gundy sort of indicated in, in those beliefs. We'll see. There, there's still games to play here, but you, you might be right that where we thought Kansas was maybe that third best team in the conference. They go to Stillwater with a backup quarterback, but really don't look anywhere near there. And Iowa State, another team we'd written off, is, is kind of in the picture. Uh, the good news for Oklahoma, they've already played Iowa State. They beat them by 30. I think that win, it's all relative. They don't have a, a win like Washington uh, beyond the Texas game, like Washington will have on its resume with the Oregon, Oregon game. But helps if Iowa State finishes strong. And that Oklahoma State game and we're going to get into the back half of the season specifically here soon but that now looms is just an interesting sort of deal there's the bedlam stuff there's going up to Stillwater and then there's this Oklahoma State team that some weeks looks incredible and dangerous and capable of a lot and other weeks can lose to South Alabama the way they did earlier well, this year and not to mention they're an Oklahoma State team that right now with the schedule before bedlam can really gain some momentum going into bedlam as well Indeed. And I guess I'd ask you, just like looking around the conference, who are you most disappointed in, most intrigued by of these teams? It's hard, it's hard because like it was hard last year seeing TCU be in a college football or a college football playoff semifinal and then final, right? Like that's it just it's like an assault on the senses. Like they're not supposed to be there. Um, so maybe because it's it felt so weird to have them there last year, the fact that they have dropped so much this year you know, isn't as jarring as it would be if, you know, like Michigan made it to the uh, the CFP final and then started the year three and three or four and three, whatever they are now. Uh, I think that's kind of where you have to start. Kansas State, I don't know that they've been disappointing this season. They've got two really disappointing losses to Missouri and Oklahoma State. They could very well be undefeated and sitting, you know, right outside the top 10 right now. I, I think I will say this. You have a lot harder time finding who's been the most disappointing than who's been the most surprising this year. I think, yeah. honestly, if you're talking most disappointing, you have to look at the four new teams, right? 
I mean, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Houston, the worst of all of them. Those yep. four teams are four of the five teams at the bottom of the conference. Life comes at you fast, right? And they're learning it in the Big 12 this year. Power five is a little bit different than navigating a mid-major schedule. And, you know, I think they would all be disappointed as well. For me, the one I'm most disappointed in, though, right now is probably Kansas State. Um, and again, I know they're very close, just a few plays here and there from being undefeated. But I thought they were the more one of the more underrated teams in the country early this season, and they've kind of let me down a couple times with the loss at Missouri and the loss in Stillwater. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you know the, the injury bugs caught them a bit, and and you lose a guy like Deuce Vaughn, who is so dynamic in that offense, and you can see where a drop off would come. But you're right; it, it's less um, about the overall drop off in, in terms of the quality, but those two losses. Missouri game, you know, looks maybe better now. They took a team that's that's ranked and six and one in Missouri to the wire needed that kick at the end to do it. The Oklahoma state game was almost inexcusable um, to, to, to not have that one, but um, welcome to the big 12 in 2023. It was the way they got beat too. Not that they got just the way they played in that game was atrocious. It was like one of the narrowest wins for Oklahoma state in terms of, you know, they did, they did so many things that if you're making a checklist, uh, of how not to win a football game you you wouldn't want to do, you know, turnovers, yards, all that, uh, yet they won. And again, that, that goes back to the perplexing, you know, Mike Gundy in some ways and, and what he's able to to produce there. But for Kansas State, that one just doesn't reflect well. Another team, Texas Tech, I, I think probably got yeah. pumped up a little too much, um, not based on a whole lot, especially given that there were questions at quarterback and all that. And they, they've sort of had just a rough run of luck with injuries as well. But uh, they were a team that I think a lot felt might have been that third best team or, or plenty of people had them contending for that Big 12 title game spot um, maybe before we, we were taking Oklahoma as seriously as we are now. But Tech, Heather, Denich had them, Heather Denich had them as like a surprise possible playoff upset. I think team. a lot of people did. If, if you yeah. weren't buying Texas and you weren't buying Oklahoma, Tech was that – they were the, the trendy pick at the very least. And – Perhaps as as things go with trendy preseason picks, July and August, talking season, man, uh, hits every year. Football season then hits every year, and and we see who who's really for real. For the Sooners, what does all this mean? You know that the they've they've got a really easy run the back half of the season. It's not to say it'll be simple, but you look at it. Um, we're we're gonna dive into it, but you know it's the forty fifth toughest schedule left. Um, it's there's there's not a ranked opponent on there. Uh. Does that mean they're going to need more style points um, in terms of, you know, not not real tiebreakers, but if we're talking college football playoff or, you know, potentially a one loss Oklahoma trying to get in, do they need to do this in a certain way? Maybe. I'd also say the easiest way for Oklahoma to get into the college football playoff right now is to take care of what is a an easier schedule in the back half, hold serve and then go win the Big 12 title game. If they're 13-0 with another win, let's say over Texas, that's an easy conversation, I think. Pick up a loss here, um, stumble somewhere in the back half of the season, it opens up so much, and and it does open up. If we're going to be comparing Oklahoma to, say, uh, Washington or another Pac-12 team, you see who the Pac-12 is having to play week in, week out. The conference might cannibalize itself um, after it's already cannibalized itself as a conference, right? Uh, I, I think Oklahoma, for its own sake, for, for keeping things simple in the college football playoff conversation, 
might be less about style points and more about just getting to that point. They can do it, 13 or no. Long way to go there, but I think that's their path. I'll tell you real quickly something that helps Oklahoma this year if they do lose a regular season game. And first, I would say, I mean, they're going to be probably double-digit favorites in every game left. Maybe not Bedlam because it's on the road, especially the way Oklahoma State's playing. But they should win every game left on their schedule, right, just on paper. Um, I, I think when you look at a schedule like that, you think either tough circumstances or tough locations are the times where I think you can slip up. And there's a couple of tough locations with Stillwater, and I know they've looked like garbage at times, but Provo's not going to be easy to go win late in the season, right? So I think that's still maybe a chance for a slip up. But big for Oklahoma right now is in most years, you've got a pretty clear second SEC team that you would think if you lose a game would jump you. And I don't know that Alabama's that clear this year. And I think Alabama might also be due another loss, right? So I don't know that there's that second SEC team. And if Oklahoma can go 12-1 and one and win the Big 12, you know, Oregon's going to need Washington to lose twice if they're going to go 12-1 and one and win the Pac-12. So I think that, that helps Oklahoma a lot when it comes to possibly getting into the playoff, even with a regular season loss. You can't go 12-1 and one and lose in the conference championship game, though, if you're the Sooners. No, simply can't. And and all that feels so far away right now because as much as we can forecast into early December, we're still only six games into this. And the rest of Oklahoma's season after that win against Texas begins this weekend with UCF. And and now, I, I think now's the time. Let's dive into the back half of the schedule, what it looks like, where those stumbling blocks could be, um, the, the, the parts of the schedule the Sooners have to keep an eye on. It's it. Here's the run. UCF at Kansas at Oklahoma State, home for West Virginia, at BYU, and then home for TCU on Black Friday. That's the run. There's not a ranked team in there. There are not very many uh, exceptionally threatening units there. You don't Within that, there is not one offense that you say, oh my God, how are the Sooners going to stop them? Same for the defenses. They're, they're good teams, as we've seen. Well, maybe not good. We just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about the, the levels of the Big 12. But, you know, these are teams that week in, week out have surprised us in, in different ways. Uh, there's no way Oklahoma's just going to get to December 2nd of the Big 12 title game without getting somebody's best, without getting someone having the night of their life, something like that. But the point is, if you look at ESPN's FPI, remaining schedule, 45th toughest in the country for Oklahoma. Among the teams ranked in the top 10, only UNC, Oregon, and FSU have easier schedules. This is set up really well for the Sooners. Question, can they get there? That's the big question. Get through it, um, you know, remaining unbeaten. And, and if so, what are the games they're going to have to overcome, the, the tough ones uh, on the schedule? I guess starting off, if, if you look at that slate, six games, which are you most excited about? I think Bedlam's kind of taken that that jump, but is, is that the one for you? Well, I think yeah, Bedlam is obvious, number one, because of the backstory behind it and how much this year's game means. Um, you know, And it being in Stillwater, it's going to be a really tough task to go there and win. It's going to be a crazy crowd. I was there in 2021 for Bedlam, uh, and it was wild. You know, The famous Lincoln Riley didn't talk to USC until after the game was over Bedlam. And it was crazy. It's going to be even more crazy, I would imagine, this year. I, I mean, the most talented team is uh, probably Kansas, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But Jalen Daniels' injury status has been a big question. We don't know what's going on with that. 
uh, if it even is an injury. Like there's rumors out there that it might not be. So that's a big question mark. And it's not like Jason Bean hasn't been successful at times, but I think Kansas is a team that you can, Oklahoma, with as good as they've been offensively, can outscore if they don't make mistakes. I think the the toughest part for me is, like I said, those are three road games that are just weird, right? I mean, it's Lawrence isn't a place that Oklahoma has performed well in at times. They've struggled out of the gates against some really bad Kansas teams, famously when Caleb Williams had to rip the mm-hmm. ball away from his teammate and get a first down here recently. So uh, that seems tough. Stillwater's obviously going to be tough, and it's going to be late in the year at BYU. I don't know if they're going to even have a chance at bowl contention at that point, but you know, the, the Cougars are going to treat that like a bowl game against Oklahoma. There is, for the older fans, there's a little bit of history with BYU and Oklahoma that I think some of the younger people don't know about, and they're going to be fired up for that one, knowing that they're going to get OU one time in the Big 12. So I think one of the three road games is the most likely slip-up. If you're asking me circumstances-wise, it feels like Stillwater. Talent-wise, it feels like Kansas would be the most likely slip-up. If you're just going to you know, go out and just flat-out get beat, I think Kansas could do that to you. But right now, Eli, if I'm being totally honest with you, the defense is playing well enough. They're still not great. There's still, still a lot of yards that Texas gained, right? I mean, they're, they're still not just shutting people down. The goal line stand, I think, kind of papered over some of the cracks that we saw at times during that game. But they are good enough with the way Dylan Gabriel and the offense is playing. And, you know, if he stays healthy, I I think they're going to be in and win all of those games. But, you know, that Dylan Gabriel has nothing to do with a few busted coverages or somebody fumbling a ball or a receiver dropping a pass and it gets intercepted. You know, those things can also happen and cost you games. I just right now I'm very confident where Oklahoma sits at. I think so. Uh, you know, we've talked about it on the jacket post Texas that the floor for this Oklahoma team has really taken a jump just in terms of what that defense does for them. They are not holding teams to three points a game and, and you know, 200 total yards, but they're keeping teams out of the end zone. And when you're playing mediocre to good teams, that's going to be good enough most of the time. Same for this offense. I mean, they're scoring plenty. I think there's still some stuff to be desired. We know the run game still needs sorting out, but both units, and I, this sounds maybe negative, but it, it, it isn't. They're not prolific, but they're both very good. And, and while maybe having inefficiencies in spots, whether it's giving up yards or the offense, you know, at times you're, you know, that, that second half against Texas wasn't perfect uh, or anywhere close to it until that final drive. But the point is they're doing enough to win games and, and to do it handily. That's going to work against a, a mediocre schedule. It should. Uh, there, there should probably be a night in there, like we said, where Garrett Green, for instance, West Virginia quarterback, comes to Norman and has the game of his life. He was pretty successful against the Sooners last fall, but point is, there is not that one game you got to circle, and we've hit on that plenty. I, I think you talk about trap potential. We've been so we were so extreme in one end on Oklahoma State, we can be extreme on another. Let's say that's not a trap game anymore. That that's just maybe the toughest game on the schedule. That Oklahoma State has it together that the final Bedlam game in the Big 12 is going to carry all the weight and, and, and be something of a leveler. Cool. Then I look at BYU-TCU and just that six-day run. It's neither game that, that should really be scary. I mean, I, Provo um, presents just sort of, I, I don't know what, what the word you use to describe it would be, but night game in a place Oklahoma's never played, 
Um, I think it'll be a great atmosphere no matter where BYU's at. In uh, it'll be warm. I can promise you it, that it's not going to be warm. No, so that that's a tough one. And then six days later, uh, 11 a.m. Black Friday with TCU. I think that's going to be a really fun week. That was kind of my last question for you: is what game you think is going to be most fun? It might be Bedlam, but that week, six, you know, two games in about six days. I think it's going to be a blast, and I also think it's the place where Oklahoma is going to have to be really careful and really focused just to make sure, especially if they're they're about to land the plane on 12-0. and 0, That's all the pressure is going to be there. It's unorthodox. Who knows what TCU will look like by that point? That's the one where, you know, in my head, it's those final two. If they're 10-0 if they're and, and having to win those two, um, they're going to have to get it right. Well, I, you know, I again, it's a long way until we get there. I. I should know this. I don't, but I think TCU plays the Saturday before too. So they're also on a six game mm-hmm. build up and, and they've got to come on the road to Oklahoma for that game. So I don't know how much that's going to play into it. I think we'll probably know, have an idea of how much that one day shorter rest means when a, we see how tough the game against BYU is if the Sooners make it there undefeated and make it out of there undefeated. And then, you know, B we see where Oklahoma's at injury wise at that point in the year. So um, I, I just, you look at the schedule right now, it's, I hate to sound like a homer, but it's hard to see any loss on the regular season schedule with the way not only Oklahoma's playing, but the way the teams on their schedule are playing. And I think for some fans that gets them excited for other fans that kind of scares them a little bit. You and I are mainly uh soccer fans, right? And I think soccer fans are the, the most condescending and like they are, they are always trying to look at what's the worst possible scenario I think some of those are still out there for Oklahoma, but even me as someone who's always against the grain and always thinks the worst is going to happen, I feel pretty confident right now in Oklahoma and the way they're playing. I think there's no doubt. I mean, they'll be favored in every one of those games. You're right. It might be double digits in just about every one of those games. So we can be sure of that. As you look at the back half of the season, this could be a Dylan Gabriel discussion. This could be a defense discussion. Uh, it could be what we just ran through. Can they hold serve against the schedule? What to you is, is the biggest question? Because I, I think we know, you know, we, we talk about a team maybe not getting energized because the schedule is not there. I think Brent Venables and this staff and, and the way this team has spoken all year, you don't have to worry about that necessarily. They, they've been, they've remained focused. They've remained energized. But what question do you have? What's your big question for the second half of the season that, that you're going to be curious about having it answered by December 2? I think knowing who who is going to be your running back on most first and tens and who is going to be your running back on most third and ones, I think knowing a definitive answer of who that guy is by, you know, the last couple games of the season is pretty important for Oklahoma. And I think with that being said, I think the best way to learn that is for your offensive line to stay healthy. So I, I think, you know, that's the place where Oklahoma, I think, can least afford to get injured is the offensive line because right now they're trying to get the running game rolling with running backs, you know, getting handoffs as opposed to having to use Dylan Gabriel all the time. So on the offensive side of the ball, I would say that. And then defensively, you know, I know they were really good against Texas, but is the defensive line, is that competitive depth going to continue to play week in and week out as well as they have? There's always going to be issues in defensive line with injuries. There's a ton of rotation. Uh, will will there be a game where maybe we see Oklahoma, either because they've got guys injured or guys aren't playing well, get beat up front 
defensively. And I don't think we've seen that yet. I think that would be my big worry. I'm actually I'm I'm pretty impressed in how they've played linebacker wise and in the secondary. There haven't been a ton of huge busts. And those guys have made up for the bus with making big plays, you know, ball hawking, recovering fumbles, intercepting passes. If that stuff continues, I think it's more about up front on both sides of the ball. Can Oklahoma continue to dominate the rest of their schedule? You don't go in as a double digit favorite and win a bunch of games unless you can dominate the line of scrimmage. That's that's what they've done a pretty good job of so far, and that's what they have to continue to do. Yeah, I think my my big one, because you could talk about the offense and you know, Dylan Gabriel, can he do this? I, I think I'm pretty confident. We'll see uh if he stays at a Heisman standard, but I, I think the jump Dylan Gabriel's taken is is legit and real. So I think that'll stay. I think this offense will produce points. It may not be as efficient or straightforward as folks would like. I think Jeff Levy is liable to have really great weeks and then other weeks less so. That's kind of been the history of his time at Oklahoma as, a, as the offensive coordinator these past two seasons. The defense, I, I think, has, as we've said, has a level. Um, it, it may not be Oklahoma State 2021, but they're, they're getting stops. They're keeping teams out of the end zone. They've got reliability at, at the linebacker spot in Danny Stutzman. The secondary has been good. I've got faith there. To me, it's, it's all about the health. That's their biggest stumbling block in the back half of the season. There's six games that don't look all that daunting. The biggest obstacle, uh, uh, obstacle they could face is health. And, and to this point, you know, they've lost Justin Harrington in the secondary. They've lost Andrew Anthony now for the season, leading the team in receiving yards. And I think they were pretty fortunate with McCabe Matoyer. You talk about keeping that offensive line healthy. They do not have the same depth that Georgia does, that Alabama does, that Michigan does. And maybe that's okay. TCU didn't have it last year, and it took them all the way to a national title game no one saw them making. For Oklahoma, I think a really big part of the back half of the season is simply injury luck, and there's, there's no predicting that. Uh, we know they spent the bye week. You know, A big part of that is, of course, physical recovery, all those things. But all it takes is, is one bad hit, one big offensive lineman falls the wrong way onto someone else's leg, and that changes the trajectory of this season. I think that's where the Sooners, need, you can't say need to be focused. We just said it's, it could be a freak, freak injury. But if there's a place that's going to trip up where we see them going and where this program sees itself going this fall, it'll be if, if the health here this season doesn't stay over the back half. They need that to stay that way. Uh, I wrote last week with comparisons to the 2000 Sooners that, that Brent Venables had made. And I spoke to Teddy Lehman and, and uh, Jimmy Wilkerson, a couple former 2000 Sooners. That team had a lot of good injury luck, save for Josh Heupel, who played the rest of the way, the back half with a shoulder injury. They had injury luck. And I think they're going to need that if they're going to get to where they want to go and where we've been talking about them going. Real quick, let me ask you a question. How big of a factor do you think in OU's running game is Javante Barnes going to be in the back half of the season? Like what's... Well, shoot, there's a health question. There, it, that's I the mean, reverse. Even We're if talking he does about, get healthy, yeah. I think he presents. If we're talking about the most kind of physically skilled or, or you know intriguing guy in the backfield, it's Javante Barnes. He he brings something that nobody else does in terms of what he can do with his size and speed. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, we we don't really know his status. But probably worth asking Brent Venables about it this week when we get him. But you know I'm talking about the health in the context of guys staying on the field. How about getting a guy back, a guy that had off-season foot surgery that that seemed to be resolved? Um, but you know, Brent Venables mentioned it after Iowa State that it, it's still bothering him. 
Uh, we don't know if that's the only reason he hasn't seen a lot of the field, but uh, that becomes a game changer for this offense. Right now, they rank fourth in the country in points per game. They're doing plenty in terms of scoring. But if they could get a reliable run game, and it doesn't need to be much, as we've said, it doesn't need to be uh, Adrian Peterson level or, or you know, Nate, pick your running back in program history. Eric Gray a year ago was prolific. They just need something. And maybe that's going to be Tawi Walker. Maybe it's going to be Marcus Major. Or maybe Javante Barnes in the, in the back half of the season. That, that would be a storyline that would, um, would, would, be, would propel this offense to further heights than it's already reached. It's a great question. Really good one. I finally did it. I got a great question. <laughs> Took long enough. 15 episodes of Letterman Jacket. Episodes. Did it. Would have never known Todd Lisenby did radio for two decades. <laughs> no, you would not. You would not. I, well, I am interested to see if he does get healthy, though, because I, I think he also gives you the most big play pot- potential as well. So, you know, that's something that we haven't really seen. Dylan Gabriel's broken some runs, but I think you've got, you know, more potential to have bigger chunk runs with a guy like Barnes in the backfield. So I, I don't know what his health status is. I know officially what it is. You know, there's, I don't, I don't know if he's in the doghouse. These are all things we don't know. I'm not even insinuating that, but whatever, whatever the issue is, if he can get back on the field and look like he did, you know, when we saw him in a little bit of action late last year, I think that can only help Oklahoma's run game exactly right we'll see maybe he'll, he'll be back this weekend for ucf 11 a.m abc game at owen field sooners will be back and, and as we said all the excitement that came after texas you know we had the week off they'll be back this week this is when it all begins and, and we're going to find out are, are the sooners going to make this easy on themselves are they going to take care of the teams they need to take care of or are they going to have folks at owen field biting their nails we'll find out saturday todd we're going to close out with some typical radio hijinks, Liz in, Liz out. Let's do it. Um, I'll preface this. Um, I think I've brought brought enough energy here. I had a quite a uh, an airport experience last oh, night no. coming back from New York. Four hour delay. They had to swap planes. I was at LaGuardia Airport. They brought a, they had to fly Eli, a plane. From don't Chicago. tell me this. I'm going to New York next week. I know. I don't know. Well, next too. week is going to be a New York themed uh, Liz in, Liz out after okay. your trip because we're going to have a million questions for you. Maybe that'll. We always tease that we're going to just do pods that have nothing to do with the Sooners. Maybe we'll just do a New York Todd pod. Let's do um, it. I'd enjoy that. Um, but point is. Four and a half hour delay. You can maybe guess how I was feeling after a weekend at a wedding. Uh, finally got home at a, a little bit after 11 o'clock uh, last night. So I've got, we're starting with three questions on, on airport travel. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, I ask feel- the biggest guy at sellout crowd. Even bigger than Sam Mays about airport travel. You can only imagine, I bet. Well, Clapping when the plane lands. I'll say this. Last night was a bit of, bit of an exception. This plane crew like hung around, got us all home. We weren't even sure if we were going to make it back. I didn't clap, but it was the closest I've come in a while. But you Liz in or Liz out on, on, on plane clapping? I'm out. Liz out on plane clapping. The only thing worse than clapping when the plane lands is clapping when the movie ends. Like, mm. Brad, like Bradley Cooper knows that you just appreciated his performance or something when you're sitting in Tinseltown. You know what I mean? Like... Just say, oh, that was great. Leave a nice review on Yelp or IMDb or what at Rotten Tomatoes. You don't need to clap at the end of a movie. All right, middle seat. Or I guess if it's a two-seater, who who gets that? And I know, I mean, b- bigger guy, whatever. 
But who gets that middle uh, middle armrest? Is it the guy, on, the person on the aisle, or, or against the window? Well, let me tell you this: no one that sits next to me gets in the gets the armrest because I'm like when a can of biscuits gets opened up and like it starts to protrude out a little bit. That's me over the armrest, so nobody gets it when I'm sitting there. I would say a uh, person. So there's two armrests in the middle, right? There's one on the outside. I think everyone gets the left arm, right? Yeah. Doesn't that make the most sense? Everyone gets one? I guess that wasn't really a Liz in, Liz out question, but just a mild curiosity. Here is a Liz in, Liz out question. Baggage claim. You Liz in or Liz out on the folks who like hover over the thing, getting everyone else's way. Maybe I'm I'm indicating how I feel about it, but Liz in or Liz out on on that poor baggage claim etiquette. I'm Liz out on those people. I mean, I... Your stuff will get to you eventually. Um, but I think there's also, I think that it's a little different. If I'm on a vacation in New York City, I'll wait for my baggage. But if I'm trying to get home, especially after a delay, I can see the want, the reason to, you know, to want to hover a little bit just to get your stuff and go. So I, you, well, fix, all, you fix all this by just don't have a normal looking suitcase. Get a get a suitcase that has something. Put a couple stickers on it or something to make it different, so that you can see it easily, and then you can just hop right in through the crowd and get it. The point is, it's almost like when you're getting off the airplane and people start standing too early or rushing from the back to like get by people. If we all stood back from the from the the belt right at the baggage claim, we'd all get to see our bags. Instead, mm-hmm. there's the few who go stand in front of it, and then you're like, well, I can't see the bags, so now I've got to do it. Not a fan. Point taken on the baggage claim, although I will say standing up on the plane lands, for me, that's just the biscuit can opening. Right? Mm. That's that's I just gotta get some I gotta get some air. So uh I think the only people that should be allowed to stand up on the plane lands are big people. That's a reasonable take. Uh speaking of tall people, he's very svelte, but tall people, JJ Reddick, former Duke star, former, you know, I don't know how many years he played in the NBA, long time now he's got a media career. He was on my flight. Wonder what he was coming out here for. Maybe some thunder stuff. When's he coming um, in a Letterman jacket? Oh, I should have. I should have pestered him. But that actually does bring me to the question. Liz in or Liz out? You see a celebrity on a plane or at an airport. You approach him, leave him be. Liz in or Liz out? So my theory is don't make a scene, first of all. right? It, don't say, oh, my God, can I have your picture, J.J. Reddick? I try not to do that. Um I may sneak a photo of them from afar, right? To say like, hey, might have, done that. Was, might have was, done that. But I also don't want to make it obvious. I want to try to sneak, you know, like over here and get a photo. But to me, the best way to handle that is if you see a celebrity, you say to them, hey, I'm a big fan of you. You know, like just tell them like, hey, man, I'm a big fan of you. And then just go about your business. I think people appreciate that. I think that goes a long way. I know people do that to you on the street all the time, and you would prefer that as opposed to the, you know, kissing babies and signing autographs. So I think that's probably the best way to handle it is just say, hey, man, big fan of your work. Cool to see you here. Something like that. And then just and a lot of times celebrities will say, yeah, man, thanks. You know, you want to get a photo like sometimes celebrities will invite you in for a photo on that type of situation. So don't make it a big deal. It is jarring, though, isn't it? When you see a guy like J.J. Reddick who played guard and how tall they are. Right. I mean, right. Russell Westbrook had the same effect. You walk up to him and you're like, this is a this is a point guard. And he's like six foot four. So it's uh, it's all it always is a reminder when you see an NBA guard at just how big you have to be to play in the National Basketball Association. He's also still in great shape. 
and it, you see it when he's on TV and all that. But I, I figured out at least part of why. We both had a four-hour delay. He ate one of those like, like snack packs with like four cubes of cheese, a piece of ham, and like hummus or whatever. I got a full pizza and just bashed it. Um, so those are the. That's what separates us common folk from from the elite athletes. That's the only thing. If if I if I'd gone for that snack pack, maybe I'd have a shot in the NBA. I think it was uh, JJ Redick. I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I think it was JJ Redick who got in trouble at Duke because he saw a sobriety checkpoint and just busted a U-turn. Like nobody was going to notice and he got caught. So, um hmm. I think he's probably learned a lot since then. I actually think he's really good at what he does. He's really smart. Um hated him as a player because he went to Duke, but yeah, it's cool that you ran into J.J. Redick. It's, and you know yeah. what? J.J. Redick probably got up this morning and said, you guys won't believe who I ran into, Eli Letterman. Well, you said he saw me kissing babies and signing autographs uh, at the OKC airport, so he was probably wondering at least who, who that was. So hopefully figure it out. J.J. Redick, come on Letterman jacket one of these days. I'm going to start to get – next time you go out of town, I'm going to get all those Thunder fans together, and we're going to meet you at the airport. <laughs> all right, we're going to close rapid fire here on Liz In, Liz Out. OU, 19-and-a-half-point favorite versus UCF. I think they've covered in just about every game this year. I know Cincinnati was about which which book you looked at, but point is they've done pretty well there. You like the Sooners as a 19-and-a-half-point favorite? I hate to say it, but I'm Liz in. I, Barry Trammell said it best uh, on the uh, Jenny and Barry show earlier this week. If this team is a reflection of their coach, there won't be a big letdown. So I'm going to say Liz in on the Sooners. Sorry, Liz in on the Sooners covering the 19 and a half. Texas, 22 and a half point favorite against Houston. I'm going to say Liz in on that one as well on the uh, Longhorns covering. Same thing. I think getting the week off, a chance to lick their wounds, and you got to think Houston's going to have a letdown after the way they won last Thursday night reasonable they also can't seem to stop yeah they're also not any good i think plays into that as well (laughs) (laughs) all right dylan gabriel comes out of the bye week six games in leading the big 12 in passing yards 1878 that has him against quinn ewers uh, ahead of quinn ewers donovan smith chandler morris rocco beck not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks in the big 12 right now but you liz in or liz out on dylan gabriel to keep that lead and, and finish the season as the conference's leading passer I'm going to say Liz in. Obviously, injuries, you know, could be the caveat there. But I'm going to say Liz in on Dylan Gabriel putting up the numbers. Look, I don't think that this is something that happens. I think very rarely do coaches go, oh, this guy's in the Heisman race. Let's get him some numbers. But it just so happens that most guys who start to get Heisman talk back into the season, their numbers start to inflate a little bit, especially against bad competition. So I think I'm Liz in on Dylan Gabriel uh, finishing off as a Big 12 passing leader again if he stays healthy. Danny Stutzman led the Big 12 in tackles a year ago. Right now he leads the conference with 58. Um, he, he's averaging more per game than like far and away than anybody. He's 9.7 lead the conference by a fair margin. But he's got some guys on his tail. Uh, you got uh, Bo Frailer at Iowa State, Nicholas Martin at Oklahoma State. Can he hold on to that lead? Does he get there as, as the Big 12's leading tackler at the end of the season? That's a tougher tougher one to uh, to predict because tackles are a little more random at times than you know passing yards where Dylan Gabriel touches the ball you know every play and half the plays is throwing it downfield or more. I'm going to say yes going on last year as well. Again, without any injuries, I think Danny Stutzman does lead the league in tackles. Um, 
I, I also think part of the reason why Danny Stutzman is making such a big jump this year that needs to be said is the defensive line is doing a great job of allowing the linebackers to get downhill and make plays. Both he and Jaron Kanick, uh, you know, are both doing a really good job of that. So, yeah, I'm Liz in on Danny Stutzman leading the Big 12 in tackles. I told you I'm high on the Sooners, man. It's rare that this happens. People tell me I hate OU all the time, but I think right now they're a college football playoff contender for sure. Last one I got for you is on the college football playoff, but it's away from the Big 12. Liz in or Liz out on the SEC having an SEC team? Excuse me, the SEC having a CFP team, a playoff team. I know that's almost a given. Most years we're wondering if there's two. I, there's at least a scenario the way you're seeing that, you know, the Big 10 is going to probably produce a team, whether it's Michigan, a huge one this weekend with Penn State and Ohio State, the ACC with Florida State. You've got Oklahoma and Texas here in the Pac-12 is serious, and, and no one in the SEC, Georgia included, and news this morning, recording on a Monday, that Brock Bowers is going to miss some time. There's at least a world in which I think the SEC could miss out on the playoff. You Liz in or Liz out on that scenario? I am Liz out on the SEC missing the playoff. I think they'll be in. I think it'll be Georgia. And I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I said this earlier, and of course I said this in my against the spread picks the week before they blew out Kentucky. But Georgia, I think this year is like one and five against the spread, one and six against the spread. They're not good. Their only cover was against Kentucky. But you remember the how was it o three uh, when or o two when Ohio State beat everybody like twelve seven and fourteen ten. And Maurice Claret and Ohio State made it to the national championship game. I get that vibe with Georgia. I think they're so deep and they're so good defensively that they can win ugly against a league that is a little bit down this year, truthfully, the SEC. So I think Georgia's still going to be the playoff team from the conference. See if they can get past one loss Missouri in a couple weeks. That'll be the real test for them. Sorry, I didn't uh, to laugh at that. <laughs> it's reasonable, fair. That's going to do it for us on this early in the week edition of the Letterman Jacket, OU UCF this weekend. We'll have plenty more coverage. We'll have another episode of the pod with Garen Emig later this week. Thank you, as always, for joining us. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Leave comments. I'll respond to your comments if you do. promise I will. You can always find us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can find our stuff at selloutcrowd.com eli-letterman.com and todd what do you got coming this week on your platforms so we're going to be ranking something silly this week we're going to do the top 10 nights of all time since the sooners are welcome in the ucf nights not of all time in my lifetime so sir lancelot sorry you don't make the list uh but the top 10 nights of all time this week we've got my against the spread picks i'm going to be talking to uh keegan renault this week i think that podcast is already released about what analytics says about OU's playoff chances. Garen Emig's going to join me. Plans to have John Hamm on as well. So there's a lot going on at ToddLizenby.com. Big. My top three nights, Phil, Blake Bortles, and Taco. Okay. Fair enough. But that's N-I-G-H-T, right? Taco night? You got to let me have some okay. – take All some right. liberties here, right. please. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're ranking something silly. But anyhow – Lots of good stuff coming from you. Tons of good stuff coming at selloutcrowd.com this week. And we'll be back with another Letterman jacket before the Sooners host UCF.